The goal is to be easy to listen to, but not so easy to listen to as to fall asleep. I'll tell you that it's really good to see all your shining, smiling faces. As for my shining face, um, I didn't think that I was going to like having the beard this long, but it's growing on me. <laughs> the youth didn't like the dad puns. I love the dad puns. So you may have noticed, you may not have noticed, the Summer Olympics have kicked off uh, Friday morning and Friday afternoon. Um, I like typically to watch the opening ceremonies and the closing ceremonies to see the pageantry when they really get it right and honestly to kind of poke fun at it when I think it doesn't go the way it should be. And uh, to all of you whose uh, Facebook feeds I blew up Friday night, sorry about that. Thanks for your patience. This summer, I'm going to be looking at something a little bit differently. Certainly we'll see the sports and the, the excellence and the skill there, but I'm going to be looking at when they put the medals on and when they're standing on the podiums, because I read some fascinating studies that really apply to some of what comes out of the parable of vineyard workers that we'll see today. And you would think if I asked you, maybe you would say that of the gold, silver, and bronze, gold might make people the happiest because it's the biggest one, and then silver the next, and then bronze the last. But plenty of studies have been done that shown that in practice, this is not the case. You may have caught some sometimes, especially if you remember there was a meme about it in the London Olympics, when on the silver podium, the person is just fighting, maybe even scowling. What is going on there? There's only one person in the world right now better at what you do, and you've just been awarded the second best ever. What is happening? So fascinating thing, built into biology, but you can admit that it's a little bit of sinful fallen nature as well. We don't actually measure our happiness or even our joy sometimes by our situations or the things that actually happen to us, the good or bad things that did happen. We tend to measure our happiness on a hypothetical reference point, something that we imagine that could have been. I could have been a little better. That could have been better or worse. And that's what we're seeing on the podiums there, because the bronze medalist is looking at, wow, I almost got here. I almost didn't get onto the podium. And the silver medalist, who is in this an amazing position, is thinking, I could have been them. But for them, or a mistake I made, I'm not there. And this parable, that can remind us that we don't want that to happen to us in our lives and heaven forbid, when we compare others the way we shouldn't. So let me give you the parable of the vineyard workers and what it really means. It's a picture of how God's kingdom salvation works. That is three points that we'll see. God graciously offers us his salvation, not because of our efforts. Second, God continuously pursues us in his sovereign ways, not our ways. And God is perfectly good. And that sometimes seems unfair because we don't even have a picture other than God of anyone that good. So it's almost got this dissonance that we don't understand it. And the punchline of all that is that everyone gets the same scandalous seeming benefit of salvation if you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. So before we dig into this, let me just pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege to be here to look at your word, which has wisdom for us because you know us now and then. You made us and you understand us. I ask that you would use what you have here to glorify you and share the truth 
and anything that isn't useful, you would just wash away. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. So we're in the parable of the vineyard workers, which is in Matthew 20, about three-quarters of the way through the Bible, first book in the New Testament. Matthew 20, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into his vineyard for the day. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard, and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and about three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, that's about one hour before the end of the workday, he went and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard took his foreman, told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So when the first one came, they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner. These last men put in one hour, and you made them equal to us, who bore the burden of the day's work and the burning heat. He replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the first will be last and the last first. So the question we have to ask first is, what is happening? Why has Jesus chosen to tell this parable, and why has he chosen to tell it at this point? If you were to read one chapter back, you would learn that what has happened just before now is a rich young ruler has come to Jesus who had wealth and power and said, what do I need to do to get the kingdom of heaven? Jesus knew that he had a lot of wealth, and that was what he was caring about. So he told him, sell all your things and then follow me. And he left sad because he wasn't, wasn't willing to do that. And they talked about how difficult it is to come to the kingdom of heaven if you are rich. But then the disciples actually say, honest to goodness, what about us? We've given up everything. What will we get? And that's what prompts Jesus to tell this story, to explain how God's kingdom economy is different from the earthly economy, the way things work, how heaven is, how you get that, and to address misconceptions that they had. And even today, we're having these same kind of hangups. Honestly, it kind of encourages me, the fact that the disciples need to be repeated. If you were to read on one more chapter after that, even after this, the disciples, a pair of the disciples' mothers came and said, the mother of Zebedee's sons approached Jesus and her, with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want, he asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one at your right and the other on your left in the kingdom. So even then, 
people are distracted saying, what about me? Who goes first? What do I get? We need to see the picture that Jesus is painting because if he's setting out to describe this so that we'll understand it, we should understand the context of what's happening so we get that purpose. Now, the people that were listening at the time would have understood this kind of cultural situation. Vineyards were um, for growing grain, uh, grain, they weren't for growing grain, grapes up on hills. And what would happen is the growing season, they were planted in spring, pruned in summer, and then there was a very short harvest period in, um, in September. The idea is they've spent the season investing in getting these grapes to grow properly. And then there's this sort of mad rush to get enough people to pluck all of them so that they aren't ruined by the rainy season. So that's the sense of urgency that sets this up. And so the landowner is trying to get as many people as he can, and it is not skilled work. If you're willing, you should come. It's not entirely not skilled work. If you're red, green, colorblind, you could have some trouble. You gotta pick the red ones and not the green ones. But that's pretty much the only qualification. Show up and be willing to pick grapes. So as we've gone through this, I just wanna give you the decoder ring, kind of the spoilers so that you have them rattling around in your head as we continue to walk through the events of this day. In the parable, the landowner is God. The workers are those who accept Christ and accept his offer of salvation. The vineyard is God's kingdom. That is the place even on earth where he has domain, that he's in charge, that he can do things as well. The wage in the story is our salvation, that reward for accepting Jesus Christ as our savior. It's what we needed. It's what the workers were looking for. The workday is our lifetime. And in the end, everyone gets the same benefit of the wage. So let's walk through what happens over the course of this day. First off, it's a picture of God's gracious offer of salvation for us. It says that he went out early in the morning to hire workers. That's about 6 a.m. Typically, the workday would be a 12-hour workday. I personally am glad that I don't have a vineyard 12-hour workday, but I would rather have a job and eat than not have it and not. I think one of the crucial things that we have to understand that we have to lock in here is that even though in the parable, the wage, the denarius that's given to the people is the reward and it represents our salvation, it does not mean that we work for our salvation. This is not saying that we work hard and we earn it and therefore are rewarded it by nature of our skill, our diligence, um, our timeliness, any of these things. In fact, if you remember from Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What we deserved outside of God's offer of salvation, accepting his son Jesus Christ, is death. And that's our starting point. We cannot earn our salvation. So he mentioned that he offered this one denarius. And today, we probably, like me, have no context of what a denarius is. The amount that a denarius is worth, to me, is the thing that helps us understand most what's really happening here. A denarius is the amount of money that they would pay for a Roman soldier for a day's work or a skilled craftsman. So you have to understand that the people that showed up here today who expected that they would get the job and they would, had no skills, had no bargaining power, no ability to negotiate, this is really the negotiating situation. Would you like to work in my vineyard for $20? And you say, I would like 40. I turn to you and I say, 
Will you work for 20? Yes, I'll take it. You go home. That's the negotiating situation that we have here. They have no bargaining power and no way to get more than they expected. But when he offers this unskilled wage, this offer of a day's wage for a skilled craftsman or a, uh, a soldier, it is more than they could ever expect. It's completely blown away. It's unbelievably generous of the landowner. And we do have to remember that since we're talking about this being an example of um, coming to Christ, becoming a believer, accepting his offer, they mention that he offers it. There's no indication of negotiating here. It's what he chose to offer, and they were happy to accept it. And they, what needs not to be said, they were glad to meet this guy. And that's what we have to remember. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't trick God into liking us more. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment, not something you bargain with, okay? And I need to remember and realize that I'm probably talking to two groups here. To those of you who have been believers, followers of Christ for a long time, you've probably, like me, kind of gotten into the habit of thinking, well, I'll do a good job and God will like me more. But that's really not what's happening. I want you to remember as you face the challenges in your life, what it was like at the beginning when you were like, I'm at the end of my rope. I know I can't save myself. I'm in big trouble. Wait a minute, God, you accept me? You want me as I am? You, I, I don't have to prove it to you. I, I don't have to do a certain amount. That's what we need to remember while we're facing this. Don't forget that love. And for those of you that may not have come there yet, that may not understand what uh, Jesus has to do with all these things and, and if God could be trusted or good, I just want you to know that he is good. And the good news is that you can't convince him because we've all tried and failed and we're never going to be good enough but that doesn't stop him from accepting us. So we can see what happens for the rest of the day. He's hired all these folks at six, but how does the day continue on? And that gives us a picture of his character through the rest of the day. He continually pursues us. We see his persistence especially. Look, we repeat this, what he does. He went out several times. He goes out four more times. When he went out at nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go into my vineyard. I'll give you whatever is right. So they went. About noon and three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went and found others standing around. Now. What you notice all this, what I emphasize, is that he went. He's the one that kept going out. It wasn't their effort, okay? And we need to remember that this is not what we're normally thinking about when we think of this picture of labor. This was a common situation where the people would gather in order to get a job. It's not like today when you've got, you're circumventing like the, the employment system. So, but you will notice what's different as he continues on the day relative to what he did in the beginning. At the beginning, he offered a denarius for the day's, way, for the day's work, and that was the, the big bonus, right? In the middle, he says, I'll give you whatever's right. So there's some kind of assumption there. Maybe they thought they'd get less, 
Maybe they trusted him. Maybe they knew he was a, a trustworthy guy. Maybe they were just happy. They said, I'm at a disadvantage. I've been waiting all day. As the day has been going along, I've been thinking there's less and less hope that I'm going to get a job today that will let me get food to eat and go home and feed my family. Regardless, you have this sort of agreement where they're not told how much they'll get, but they're happy to get it and they continue on. And this is not about laziness. I think we should understand that the folks that have been there all day are not there because they're, you know, lazy or have nothing else to do. I think that's probably a, an indicator of their persistence and willingness to continue to try to get what they want, even though as the day goes on, there's less and less chance in their mind that they will get um, some work. So not only do we see that this is persistent, he's also peculiar in the way that he does it. Um, why would he do this? I mean, why, why didn't he all go out at once? You might ask that question. And we may never know why the Landover did it, but I think part of it is it shows us that his character is one of persistence, one where he wants to keep going out and seeking people. And you'll notice that as the day goes on, I think that because we know, since we've read the whole story and we know that at the end he's going to pay a denarius for everyone even though they didn't work for the whole day, we start to see that this is a hint of his character, like God, that he's more interested in giving people an opportunity to get the work than he is really for getting a return on his investment. Really, and that's our picture of God's economy versus our earthly economy. The worldly economy prioritizes progress and profit, but God's economy values people. Progress and profit versus people. I had the opportunity to see this kind of kingdom shift um, when I went to Haiti. Coming from a scientific engineering background, I tend to think with like a, an outcomes-based mindset where I would think, okay, we've gathered some money. We want to use it to help people. Let's find the most efficient, most effective way to spend it, to spread it to as many people as possible. But then when you get to Haiti with its challenges and lack of employment, you find that it's so much better to encounter real people who need to feed their families, who are happy and eager to work, to share their skills, to contribute, and it is much more important to value them as people than to say, well, I could get 10 more of whatever I'm buying for their use online, okay? And that's kind of the character that we see. And all these people that we saw because of this peculiar method of how he came out, you get the benefit of their excitement, right? I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to get to a job interview for 9 a.m. and the car won't start and you've got some kind of hang up and you get there at 9.45 and you're thinking, I have no shot at this job at all. And you get there and they're like, we've had some problems and so we weren't actually ready to give you the interview. Can you interview at 10? And all of a sudden your day switched and you thought I had no hope and all of a sudden you're all set for what you wanted. I feel like that's the feeling that these people had because the landowner kept coming back. And he continues with this peculiar plan to show that God doesn't want any to perish. In 2 Peter 3, talking about the end times, we read this. The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Look how he describes what God wants to do when he's seeking after Israel 
uh, in Matthew 23, 37, when Jesus is talking to the Jewish people. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Like the landowner, God is interested in pursuing us and giving us opportunities and welcoming us and not leaving us alone. So speaking of this peculiar method, he sets up this final sort of weird method that sets up the punchline of it. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, give the workers, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first, which is kind of an odd way to do it, but clearly he's doing it to set up this situation that we see to teach us. So before we move on, I just want to make sure we don't lose. God is persistent. We see that. We know that. But generally speaking, I would say that his work in our lives is not predictable to what we would expect. I'm actually thankful for that because my plans are not fractionally as good as his. Everyone's encounter with Jesus is unique and different. The consistence part is his persistence and pursuit and his generosity. And sometimes, not always, sometimes the weird thing that's going on in a way you didn't expect it is to remind you, to set you up in a situation like this of how God is generous and is good and can be trusted even though things look messy at the moment. So let's see what happens at the end at this punchline here. The answer to which is God is perfectly good. Watch what happens. Watch the feelings of the folks as this last transaction takes place. When those who were hired about five came, so the people that worked for one hour, they each received one denarius. Then when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. So the people that have been working for an hour are ecstatic. They didn't think they'd get much at all, but they got the best deal ever, and they love the landowner. And the people that have been there all day are excited as well because they're like, oh my goodness, this guy's paying out basically a day's wage for an hour. I work 12, I'm going to get more. So watch this. If you were to think about the people that were working all day, if we were to plot sort of their emotional reaction to things, right? They start the day low. They're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to eat today. And then they get this offer of a job and it's way better than they thought it would. So their mood is up. Right? And they're working through the day, and even though it's hard work, they're probably thinking, well, this is hard, but it's going well, and I'm going to get a good payoff. And then he pays the people that have worked for one hour, and all of a sudden, their expectation goes way up. They're like, this guy's paying a day an hour. A day an hour. And then all of a sudden, they get what they agreed to at the beginning of the day, and their circumstances didn't change, just their mindset looking at others, and it falls through the roof. And all of a sudden, they're asking, is this guy good? Is this appropriate? I deserve more. And it fascinates me because this happens to us too, right? Your circumstances don't change. You didn't gain more or less, but all of a sudden you looked at someone else and now you're not as happy. If I were sarcastic, I would phrase it like this. How dare you give me exactly what we agreed to that I was looking forward to all day? <laughs> you meanie. Honest to goodness, we all do this. And the proof of that is a coworker of mine 
told me a story of he, uh, he leaves really early in the morning and before he left, he slipped a $1 bill under his daughter's pillow. She was about four. And his wife called at 10 to tell him this story. I said, Mark, what's going on? He said, well, I slipped this dollar under my daughter's pillow and uh, apparently my wife called to say, you know, Maya got the, pill- got the dollar and her answer was, I want 10. <laughs> so even from a little age, you're sort of like, oh boy, well, I want some more. How did this happen? The workers forgot their original state. They forgot what a mess they were in at the beginning of the day. They forgot how good an offer they were given. They forgot that we were given exactly what they needed. And I'll tell you what, we find this all the time today when we're sort of cheated out of our joy because we have this modern obsession with fairness. And it's not the good kind of obsession with fairness about making sure that justice is, is fair and we don't disenchant diffs and franchise groups. I'm talking about the fairness obsession that talks about, I want what he got, he got it, so I should have it. Um, if I were to put that into, say, a, a quote, you know, if you're a kindergartner and you have to share everything, when forced to share, the wise toddler brings Cheerios and not cookies because you don't want to give up what you have. I don't mind giving away 12 Cheerios. I'm not giving away 12. We have this obsession, right? When we see someone else get something good, instead of being happy with them, we all of a sudden wonder, why can't I have that? I'll tell you what strikes me with this, because what's really happening when all these you know, shifts happen in our mind and we get discontent, we're really asking, what are they really asking here? They're saying, is the landowner good? At the beginning of the day, they were convinced he was good. They were depending on his promise. They got to the end of the day, they saw him be generous to others even more so, and are asking, is he good? Can I trust him? Where I see that today is, um, I have nieces and nephews, siblings, And uh, one of the two of them has some developmental challenges, as you may have in your family. And what you find is, if you're going through any kind of learning challenge or uh, ability challenge, parents often have to spend extra time with that one so they can grow and come along, right? Now, it's not a perfect analogy because God is perfect and doesn't show favoritism. But see how easy it is for the other sibling to say, well, mom and dad give them all the attention, right? But really the better attitude is, the question is, are my parents good? Are they fair for giving my brother or sister that time and attention? And really the parents aren't trying to show favoritism, they're trying to give the care that's needed. And my favorite thing when I see these two, these two little sweeties, is when one hangs out with the other and sees him coming along, excited in what he's learning and growing because of that, instead of thinking, how come he got your attention and not mine? The punchline to all this in terms of the kingdom is, everyone who accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior gets the same full, generous reward. Um, Again, It's a reward in that it's a treasure given to us, not a reward in that we earned it. So biblically, that means that the disciples who followed Jesus gave up everything and died martyrs' deaths. 
go to heaven. It means that the thief on the cross who was a mess his whole life and accepted Jesus in the last minutes also gets that. It means that the believer who accepted Christ at five years old gets that. It means that the person that had the wild living life on their deathbed realizes what's going on and repents also gets it. And honestly, what we have to do is caution ourselves. Don't look at the generosity of God towards people who need him, who need his help, who need his love, who maybe even had more challenging situations that you have. Don't see his generosity to them as something negative. I don't know how this hits you personally. For me, whenever I see someone else, I mean, it's easy to talk about when something good, like, um, not something good, when you've got like stuff, when all of a sudden you've been working at a job for a while and you got the raise and you're excited about the raise and then all of a sudden they normalize all the rates up and so you start thinking, shouldn't I make more than them? That's not a good example because that's about employment and wage. It's not about heaven. Um, but that emotion kicks up. But let me bring it a little closer to home for something a little scarier. Have you ever, those of you that work in, in ministry or uh, in the church maybe, have you ever actually been jealous because someone else had skills that you thought you didn't have or you wish you could have done it that way? I mean, I have to admit, not everyone wants to be standing up here, okay? But even sometimes when I see some of the other speakers and I'm just so overjoyed at what they're doing and presenting the word, I find myself thinking, I wish I could do it like that. I want to be more like them. And what did I just do? I cheated myself out of the opportunity of saying, thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to be here and share part of your kingdom work. And I cheated myself out of that by thinking, well, I'm not enough like them, or I don't do it like that. When we should all be thinking, wow, I am really impressed that they were able to care for that kiddo really well. Or, wow, you really have a gift for explaining how this works. I wish I could do that, but I do things differently. Or I can play the bass and the drums are out the window for me. So what do we need to do now as we walk away from this, remembering that God is good? First, forget everything you thought you knew about earning salvation. There is nothing you can do. The long, hard work that you do in your, in your life trying to do good things, they are not enough to trick God into liking you more. It is only because he gave his son for you to die for you and you accepted him that we can be with him. Don't let yourself this summer be like a silver medalist in the Olympics, okay? Remember that we have the greatest gift ever of salvation, of being with Jesus Christ at no cost to our own. Don't look and say, well, they have more or I'm jealous of him or her. Pray to remember the joy of your salvation if you've already met him. Psalm 51, God, create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Finally, appreciate that unfairness, air quotes, unfairness. Not because you think you deserve more, but because you know you didn't get what you deserved. And what you absolutely got is assured because it doesn't depend on you. It depends on Jesus Christ. 
and he is utterly faithful and to be dependent on as our hope. Amen? Amen. Let me pray, and then we'll have some closing announcements. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for your choosing to share your wisdom through this parable. I ask that you would write it on our hearts in ways that's practical, um, and that we would grow closer to you, and that anyone that is wondering, how can I get involved with a God so generous that it seems scandalous in the ways that he shows kindness, that they would find you and that we would be resources to explain to them your marvelous plan. In your son's name we pray, amen.